It sure is good to be back um, up here with you today. I'm going to spend the, um, the next two weeks focusing on the resurrection, what we are celebrating, the death, burial, and resurrection to be specific. And then um, the plan is to go into a study through the book of Revelations. Don't let that scare you off. We're going to do the same thing with it that we have done with Ephesians. Uh, we're basically going to try to lay out for you the purpose of that book. We're going to lay out for you the outline of it and help you be able to see how, what, how, what God's intended purpose was for you with the book of Revelations. And so I, I really believe that these uh, next two messages that I'm going to preach are going to segue nicely into the study on Revelations. And so I feel like God's just fitting it together very nice. Uh, if you got your Bible, and I pray that you do, uh, grab it and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is where we're going to be this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start reading in verse 12. We're going to go to verse 28. Then we're going to skip over to verse 45 and read through 57. So don't be confused when I skip from 28 to 45. It's for the purpose that we're doing this morning, so I'm not intentionally trying to leave anything out. And if you have the means and you're able, we do like to stand to give reverence of reading this um, powerful living Word of God. So I pray that if you have the means and you're able, you'd stand with us this morning one more time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. If you're there, say amen. If you ain't there, say hold on, preacher. All right, here we go. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain also. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead do not raise. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, meaningless, useless, purposeless. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, and He is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. There's an order to this resurrection thing. Christ, the firstfruits. Then at His coming, so there's a period between Christ's resurrection and His coming that there is no resurrection of the bodies yet. But Christ the firstfruits is the first order. And then those at His coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. Pay close attention to that. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
For God has put all things in subjection under Christ's feet. But when it says all things are put in His subjection, it is plain that God is exempted who put all things in subjection under Him. And when all things are subjected to Him, Christ, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to God who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. So ultimately, Christ is going to wrap this whole thing up in a pretty little box and He's going to come back to God and say, Here's your kingdom. You be God. Alright? We're going to get to the importance of that here in a minute too. Skip over with me to verse 45. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The title of my message this morning is First Adam, Last Adam. Pay attention. <clears throat> it is so, um, I'm sorry, let me get back here. But it is not the spiritual that is the first, but the natural, and then the spiritual body. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, talking about his body. The second man, or the second man's body, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who were of the dust. You've got the same kind of body that Adam had, right? And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of Adam, the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does this perishable body inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory now? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, I want to come to you right now and beg you for your help. God, there is no way that our little minds can wrap themselves around the significance of what we just read. Lord, there is no way. I do not have the words. I don't have the emotion. I don't have the ability to get out this morning what I feel you have in this. God, I'm asking you right now that you do a work in each of our hearts that only you can do. God, only you can open eyes. Only you can open hearts. I cannot do it. And so, Father, I'm asking you this morning that as your word goes out, would you open eyes? Would you open hearts? Father, would you draw men to you? Father, would you draw the lost to you the same way that you drew me to you? Father, I pray that before everyone leaves here today, that we all understand our greatest need in this world is not health or wealth or anything to do with this world. 
God, our greatest need is you and a relationship with you through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, help us to see that with, with all clearness this morning. And Father, we're going to give you the glory for everything that's done. Father, it's all in your hands. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want to uh, begin this study on uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to try to help you understand the importance of the resurrection why it is important for men like you and I who have borne the image of the man of dust, the man of flesh, Adam. Why it is vital for us to understand that we must have a resurrection from the dead. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, we are hopeless. And I'm hoping to get that across to you this morning. So I want to start today back in 1 Corinthians 15. Go back to verse 12 with me. And I want to help you lay, I want to lay a little context for you so you understand what's happening. A false teaching has crept into the Corinthian church that there is no resurrection of the body. Literally, that you can be a Christian and Jesus is going to save you, but there's not going to be a resurrection. You're just going to hopefully go and be with Him in spirit, and that's just going to be the end of it. And Paul wants them to understand that that is a fatal teaching. It is a teaching that leaves you hopeless, actually, because this, this um, perishable must put on imperishable. This mortal cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood in the image of Adam will not see heaven. It is only through us being born into the image of God, the image of the last Adam, that you and I are going to find our way into the kingdom of heaven. And so this subject is of vital importance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 11, you don't have to go there. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But Paul starts out addressing this problem by saying, Listen, guys, I came to you and I preached the gospel to you. Look what he says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the gospel and the word that I preached to you, unless you have actually believed in vain. You must believe the full gospel in order to be saved. You cannot believe the death and the burial, but no resurrection. You have to understand the gospel is the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants him to understand, this is the gospel that you've been presented to, and this is the gospel that you believe. You stand in it, and it's the gospel that you're going to be saved in if you continue believing in this gospel. And so the gospel is this. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. That first and foremost, Christ died for our sins. Christ died as our substitutionary penal atonement so that we could be saved and His righteousness would be imputed to us because He paid the payment of sin. The wages of sin is what? And Jesus died on the cross. And so the first of the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Go to the next part. And then the next part is that He was buried. You know why this is important? Because this proves that He died. There are some people that, that uh, would uh, argue the fact that Jesus never actually died. 
And that's the reason why people actually saw him after his death. And so because he didn't die, then guess what? If he didn't die, your payment has not been paid. And so he died, he was buried, and then finally, here's the, fi the final part of the gospel, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. This is the gospel message. But then go over to verse 11 with me right here. He says, Whether then it was I or they who preached, so we preach this gospel, and so you what? Paul said, Guys, you believe this gospel. So that takes us into verse 12, so you understand where he's going. And so he says next, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, as the gospel has spoken to you and you believed it, if this is true, how is it possible that some of you can say, there is no resurrection from the dead? This problem has to be addressed because, see, you don't realize this, but in our minds we know that dead means what? Dead. Gone. This is it. There's no coming back from the dead. That's why we fear death so much. It's the end. Game over. I was uh, preaching a revival one time years ago. And um, after I got done preaching the gospel, there was a young man that was a very good friend of mine as a teenager. He had come to hear me preach at this revival. His mom went to church there, and his mom came up to me after the service was over, and she said, I want you to pray for, for your friend. She said, he... He came to me after it was over with and said, Mom, God was really dealing with me today. He said, I know what, what, what he's saying is true. He said, I know that's true. He said, and I, he said I'm, I was right there with him until he got to the part of Jesus being raised from the dead. He said, I can believe our need for a Savior. I can believe our depravity, our sinfulness. He said, but I cannot get that somebody is risen from the dead. It is, a, it is a difficult doctrine for us to comprehend and for us to take in, but it is one that you have to understand. It should not be hard for you and I to believe. Should it really be that difficult to believe that God has the power to raise the dead? It shouldn't be, but it is. And so Paul wants to address them here and he says, Listen, guys, if we preach this gospel, how is it that some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Being dead? It's just dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, going verses 13 through 19, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. That's simple, right? If there's no resurrection from the dead, then even Christ hasn't been raised. And if that's true, then we're in a mess. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, we're in a mess. First, here's our reason, verse 14. The first reason we're in a mess is because that means your preaching is useless. Your preaching is meaningless. And not only that, your faith is, your faith is useless because there is no hope for you. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then that means His payment for your sins has not been accepted. That means that he died and he's still under the curse of death for our sin just like everybody else is. The resurrection is the evidence that God said payment accepted, death is no more. Death came because sin came into the world. It is the curse of sin. And so the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the evidence that God says to you and I, I accept payment. Payment made. When he said it is finished on the cross, you know what he meant? It's finished. 
the price has been paid. It is done. And so it is very important that you understand if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching has no purpose because I'm preaching you a gospel that can't save you. And your faith is useless because you're believing in a gospel that can't save you. You're still in your sins. You're still going to die. And you're still going to suffer an eternity in God's wrath if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Next, the second thing we see in verse 15 is that us as preachers and these apostles especially, we're lying about God. If Christ has not been raised, then I'm up here and I'm a liar. I'm not a good man. I'm not a good preacher. I'm preaching you a lie. And so he says here, we are found to be misrepresenting God because God testified about Christ. We've been testified that, that God has raised Jesus from the dead. And if in fact he's not been raised, then we're liars. We're liars. We're misrepresenting. And let me tell you something. I don't want to stand before God lying on him. Third, verse 17. Third, your faith is useless because you're still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. And so your faith is meaningless. Fourth, from verse 18, your dead loved ones have no hope. We stand at the grave site. You know, there's no greater preacher than death. You know that? Death has preached more funerals than I ever will. And he's a good at it too. He can touch hearts in ways that I can't touch them because he shows them a reality. But I'm going to tell you something. If I stand by the graveside and preach the hope of Christ and the hope of heaven and eternity with him and Christ has not been raised, I'm sorry to tell you this, your loved ones are perishing in the ground right now and that's where they'll remain until, until they have the second resurrection to go spend eternity in God's wrath. And so I want you to understand here that the resurrection is vital for us. Your dead ones, your loved ones have no hope. You have no hope of seeing them again. Fifth, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ has not raised, do you realize that you have sacrificed? Because listen, if you're a real Christian, you are sacrificing things in your life. You are denying the flesh things. You're living in ways that, that the rest of the world lives in freedom to do. They're just able to enjoy anything their flesh desires. And yet you, you are sacrificing your life. You are dying to yourself. You are sacrificing your time. Just coming to church on a Sunday morning is a waste of your time. And you are of all people in the world most to be pitied because you're wasting all you've got. Right now is it if Christ has not been raised. And so we are of all people most to be pitied if Christ has not been risen from the dead. But I love the way verse 20 starts out. What's that first word in verse 20? I love when God puts a but in His, in his scriptures. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. I, can't, I don't have time to get into the facts this week. I may spend some time next week on it. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead and He is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. He is the firstfruits of the resurrection from the dead. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 10 through 11. Listen what it says. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that, what? 
you may be accepted. The first fruits of the harvest is a ritual that God commanded His people to do and they would literally plant their crops in an order so that the first, cr- first fruits would come up first and then they planted them so that they came in in stages. The first fruit would come up first, they would take those first fruits, wrap them in a sheath and then they would bring it to the priest. The priests would wave it before the Lord. God would accept their offering of the first fruits And then that was a permission and an acceptance to say, now I'm going to bless the rest of this harvest, and as the rest of this harvest comes in, it's yours to enjoy. And here's what he's saying right here in its context. He's saying that when Jesus rose from the dead, he's the first fruits of it. The rest of them still in the ground. They ain't quite sprung up yet. All right, They're coming in different stages. But Christ is the first fruit that has now come and He's being waved before God so that you may be accepted. And it is evidence that says because He's risen from the dead, now the rest of the harvest is free to come in. And so He wants you to understand that Christ has been risen from the dead and He is the first fruits of the rest of the harvest. He is the evidence that God has accepted Him and God has accepted all those that are in Him. And we can rest assured that our resurrection will follow suit after His, but in order, in the way it's supposed to come. And so, that moves us into verse 21. This is where we get into the heart of the message. So if you haven't stayed with me, please stay with me now. If you ever wanted an understanding of the gospel, I cannot say this enough. If you ever wanted an understanding of the gospel, you're fixing to get it. Open your ears, open your eyes, do not lose me. Stay with me. I promise you, you're going to get something out of this. Verse 21, next Paul wants to explain why the resurrection is vital to you as a sinner. Not, not that you, it's not a big deal if you don't believe it. It is everything to you as to whether you believe it or you don't believe it. And so he lays into verse 21 and look where he goes. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Listen to me very closely. Every single person that has ever been born and ever will be born stands in representative relation to one of two heads. You are either represented and in the image of the first Adam or you are represented and in the image and in relation to the last Adam. You will not stand on your own. You were born a sinner. I want you to understand, you inherited this. Now yes, you you sin because you were born a sinner. Yes, you are accountable for your own sin. But let me tell you something. Do you know why babies die sometimes even in the womb? Because the curse of death reigns over all of Adam's seed. That includes babies. That includes children that have not even come out of the womb yet to do either right or wrong. They are still under this same curse. 
They are still under the same bondage of sin. Now if you want to know what that means as far as heaven and hell, see me afterwards or go back into our playlist and find the doctrine of total depravity, the, the message on the doctrine of total depravity. You'll see exactly where that lays out. I'm not going to go there this morning. But you fall under one of the two heads, either the first Adam or the last Adam. In order to understand this and get a better look, Go with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. <clears throat> In Genesis 1, we're going to read God's purpose behind Adam's creation. Now I know you're thinking, especially some of y'all been in church for a long time, will already know this. If I was a gambling man, I'd bet you $100 this morning you don't. So hang with me. Don't, don't let me lose you and bore you thinking that you've got all this figured out. Stay with me. <clears throat> in Genesis, you're going to read God's purpose behind Adam's, man's creation. And in verse 26, you're going to see that God said, Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. And then he describes the commission that he's going to create man for. Here's the purpose that we're going to do. We're going to create man in our image. We're going to create him after our likeness. And then we're going to let them have dominion. That word dominion means to rule, to dominate, to bring into subjection, right? Adam was created to be a man put on this earth to rule, to dominate, to bring everything into subjection. You remember what we said about Christ in 1 Corinthians 15? He has put all things into subjection. Stay with me. So that's the, that's the goal behind this. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth. And finally, over what? That's important to remember too. Man's got a purpose. God's creating man for a purpose over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created Adam to, first and foremost, reflect his image. To be a living, walking, breathing image of Almighty God on this earth. And then next, to rule over, to dominate, to bring into subjection everything that is on earth for the glory of God. So verse 27, here's what happens. So God created man. He knows his purpose. He knows why he's going to put him here. And so next God says, okay, I'm going to create man in my image. So he creates man and he creates woman. In the image of God, he created them. The next thing you see is God blessed them. That's important. I did a study, uh, D.A. Carson did a study on the blessings through the Old Testament and what it meant to be blessed. And when you look at all of Scripture, one of the things you find is that the blessing was not necessarily the things that they received as much as it was one thing that they received. The blessing was when God put them in right relationship with Him for His purpose. Everything else that happened after that was a result of that being in right relationship with God and living for His purpose. And so, because... Adam was in a right relationship with God because he was designed for God's purpose. God blessed him so that now he would have everything that he needs in order to live out the purpose. 
He has the power to dominate. He has the power to rule. He has the power to bring all things into subjection on this earth for the glory of God. And everything that happens as a result of that is the part of the blessing of being in right relationship with God. So that's what happens next. Next, God commissions them. Remember, He's already said what His commission is going to be. Now God tells them, here's the commission. And God said to them, here's your first thing. Be fruitful and multiply. Now remember, He's supposed to be. What's His purpose? He's supposed to be a living, breathing reflection of the image of God, right? He's supposed to dominate, rule, and bring all things in the earth in subjection, right? And now God says, I want you to make more of those. I want you to be fruitful. That literally means to bear fruit, make more fruit. And then multiply means to become many, to produce more, many more image-bearing children that dominate, rule, and bring all things into subjection for the glory of God. Next step in the mission. He says, fill the earth. I want you to make it full of these dominating image bearers. These people that bring all things into subjection for the glory of God. Fill it up. Make the earth full of those images. That's your role. And then next, he says, I want you to subdue it. This literally means to bring it all under subjection. To put it under the control of image bearers. So subdue it. Bring it under subjection. Now I want you to remember something very important right here. Just in case I'm putting you to sleep. Let's get good for a minute. Do you remember what happened to Satan before he became Satan? He was the most beautiful angel that had ever been created. There was not another one like him. He was the worship leader, the one that leads praise in heaven. For God, He leads all the other angels in praise. But His heart was lifted up in Himself and He said, I'm going to set my throne above the throne of God. I deserve to be worshipped. I deserve to be praised. I can be God all by myself. And He was so beautiful and so powerful and so good that a third of an innumerable company of angels followed Him. They believed him. They said, yeah, he could. God has his first ever challenger that says, I don't need you. I can be God all by myself. And now here's what happens. The Bible tells us that somewhere between the creation or after the creation of the world and before the, the creation of man, somewhere in that window a war broke out in heaven. And Michael the archangel had war with Satan, Lucifer at that time, and he cast him out of heaven and threw him to the earth. And so now God's challenger is living on the earth. And God says, let us make man in our image to rule, to dominate, to bring everything in this earth into subjection. Every creeping thing into subjection. That's Adam's commission. God is saying this. I'm going to make something from dust. The most insignificant of all my creation. But I'm going to make him in my image. 
He's going to have a right relationship with me. And I'm going to empower him to bring all things into subjection the way they're supposed to be. And so here's what he's saying to Satan. You think because you're the most beautiful and most powerful of all my creation that you're something? Let me show you what I'm going to do. I'm going to create man from dust. And he's going to bring you into subjection. So God puts Adam here on this earth and he puts Eve as his helpmate and he says, you multiply my image, you be fruitful, you become many, you subdue, you dominate, you control, you bring it all into subjection for the glory of God. And as long as you're walking in right relationship with me and blessed by me, guess what? You'll be able to do everything that you need to do. Everything that I have called you to do. Have dominion, literally rule over, tread down, dominate over every living thing that moves. Psalm chapter 8 verse 2, listen to what it says. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Let me say that one more time. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy, literally to shut him up. To shut up the enemy and the avenger. Psalm chapter 8, the whole psalm is about God creating man in order to dominate his challenger. He said, out of the mouth of babies and infants, I'm going to show you what true worship actually looks like. Remember Satan, you're supposed to be the worship leader of God, right? You're supposed to lead all the people in the worship of God. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take something from the dust babies and infants that are not in your power, not in your glory, and out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to silence the enemy and to silence the avengers. So we see the commission all throughout Scripture. I could take you to many more places. But how many of you know, did Adam succeed in his commission? Adam failed. He disobeyed God by disobeying God's word. He followed his own desire. And Satan come on the scene knowing what man is supposed to do. Satan comes on the scene and he crawls his way into this garden. And he says, did God really say that if you eat from this tree that you shall die? You shall not surely die. But God just don't want you to be like him. Eat from the tree and you'll be able to decide from yourself good for evil. You don't need him. The same heart that Satan was walking in himself. I don't need God. And how many of you know that that is the same image that you and I bear? When Adam failed, listen to me. When Adam failed, instead of multiplying the image of image bearers that are in right relationship with God, you know what his fruitfulness and multiplication produced? People, death is absolutely right. People that are not in right relation with God. People that are against God. People that are born with a heart that says, I don't want you, I don't want your ways, I want to do what I want to do. Do you know why a baby comes out of the womb crying? Because I want what I want. I'm hungry. I need a diaper. I need, I need, give me what I want and if you don't give me what I want, I'm not going to be happy. Right? 
That is the heart that you and I are born with, and it is a sinful heart. And every single person that has ever been born, before you ever do right or wrong, while you were in the womb, you were born a sinner because Adam is your head and everybody born of Adam after that. Does that make sense? See, there are many religions that argue with this doctrine right here. They say, no, 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 no. Listen, you, you become a sinner when you sin. There, there is an age of accountability and until that time comes, you're not a sinner, you're innocent. Children are innocent. Children are not innocent. How many of you got three or four year olds that figured out yet children are not innocent? That's right. Y'all know what I'm saying is true. Children are not innocent. We are born sinners in rebellion against God. Adam was supposed to be fruitful, multiply image bearers, dominate, subject, but instead now he has been fruitful and he multiplied death bearers, sinners born in rebellion against God. Now back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 21. I got to speed this up so y'all got to stay with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 21. Now with that context, let's read what Paul is saying about the vitalness to this resurrection. He says in verse 21, For as by a man came death. He was supposed to bring life. As by a man came death. By a man, the last Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. You are dead. If you're not in Christ and you're in Adam, I'm sorry to tell you this morning, you may be walking and breathing, but you are a walking dead man. You are dead. And you, your only hope is a resurrection from the deadness of that Adam flesh that you walk in. If you don't get that, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not put on immortality. You are dead. And so, the same way that in Adam, verse 22, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But you've got to understand something here. What do you have to do in this life to be born of Adam? Just be born, right? So he's not saying that everybody that is, um, that when Christ died, that that automatically brings all the dead people into the resurrection of life. He's saying that all those who are in Adam, you get death. But what do you have to do in order to be in Christ? Be born again. You have to be born again. And all those that are in Christ will inherit life. Look at verse 22 again, where I'm at. For as in Adam all die, so also those in Christ shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Adam's commission was passed on to every son and daughter born after him. But they always failed at it because they were born of Adam's nature. You remember Cain? Whenever Cain was born, you remember the, the prophecy that God told Eve in the garden? Hey, or he told the, the serpent in the garden. He said, listen, I'm going to bring a seed that's going to be born of the woman. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to crush your head. 
Every woman and man in Israel from this point on has been waiting on this seed to come. And when Cain was born, you go back and read the scripture, it's somewhere around Genesis 4, I believe. Somewhere around Genesis 4 it says, When Cain was born, Eve said, Praise God, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now was Eve a male chauvinist? No, here's what her thinking is. Finally, the seed has come that's going to crush the serpent's head. But do you remember what Cain did? Cain killed his own brother. He failed because he was born with the same nature that Adam was. Given the same commission, but he failed. When Noah comes on the scene, Noah's given the same commission. But you know what Noah did after he got off the boat? He failed because he had the same nature that Adam had. You, uh, you go into Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were all given the same commission, but do you know what they did? They failed because they had the same nature. And so until there is one born without the nature of Adam, but the nature of God, then we will forever be lost in our sin. And so Satan, uh, um, I mean, Jesus comes on the scene in the form of the last Adam. And when Jesus comes as the seed of the woman, that's where you see him come in and he fulfills the commission given to Adam in the garden. He comes in, he dominates. He comes in, he brings all things into subjection and he does it by dying for our sins. He defeats death by death. Paul understands that Christ is the seed of Adam and Eve that fulfilled the Adamic commission. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 24 through 28. Read that very quickly. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. You see this? After He's destroyed it. For He must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. He's not there yet. Right now Jesus is still multiplying image bearers. You see that? Jesus the husband and His bride who? The church are making babies. Spiritual children. And we are multiplying the image of God that dominate, that rule, that are in right relationship with God, that can be blessed, that can now overcome the power of sin and live in the nature of God by being in right relationship with Him. But then comes the end. Look again, verse 24. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. He's destroying it right now. For He must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's the last one. He'll conquer everything else. And there at the end, He'll conquer death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him that God may be all in all. You can take your time to go through that and put all that together, but here's just what it says. Jesus takes all this power, this dominion and this rule and He puts it all in a nice little box and He ties it up with the bow and He comes back before God and He says, Hey, here's your kingdom. No more challengers, 
No more enemies. A man from the dust has been born and overcome exactly the way that you designed this thing from the beginning. And not only that, but in the process of it, I've saved the race of Adam as well. If you don't get that, if that don't get your fire going, your wood is wet. It's soaked. It is soaked. Guys, that is the gospel. That is the gospel message. Christ has dominated Satan. He's took all his power away by his death on the cross and being obedient to God, even to the point of death. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Listen to what it says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, he, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, because of his obedience... Because of his mission fulfilled, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. <laughs> God's wisdom. When I was studying this the last few days, I was watching this and going through this, and I told Chastity she was over there cooking, and I was at the, the, the table going it, and I just I was shaking my head, and I said, I don't even know what to do with this. I said, my mind can't get around the wisdom of God. I, I, I can't take this in. I, I can't, I, I get it, but I can't get it. I want you to understand this morning that when God put this plan in motion, he knew exactly what he was doing in order to defeat any challenger that came up against him. And he never even really had to lift a finger. What a beautiful thing. I'll read a couple more scriptures to you and I'm at the closing, I promise. Hebrews chapter 2, look at it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. Now remember, Satan was an angel, right? Lucifer, not only an angel, the greatest angel. And then he comes in and he makes man a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who was for a little while made little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Everyone that is in Him, He has tasted death for you. He has defeated death for you. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 19. This is my last scripture other than finishing up in 1 Corinthians. Romans 5, He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, one man, Adam, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. 
For sin indeed was in the world before the law was even given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet even still death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment that followed that one man's sin brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. Listen again. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Through that one man, Jesus Christ, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. But as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Listen to me, guys. You are represented today by one of two heads. You are either in Adam and therefore subject to death or you are in Christ and therefore subject to life. And you say, well, I didn't do anything to deserve to be in Adam. You didn't do anything to deserve to be in Christ either. But you can be. But you can be. And so I pray this morning that you hear the gospel. Let's finish up 1 Corinthians 15. Go over to 1 Corinthians 15 and just for sake of time, let's skip over to verse 54. And we'll read to verse 57. Three verses. <clears throat> Three verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable. Talking about our resurrection here. And the mortal puts on our immortality. Then shall come to pass, the saying as written. What was the last enemy that Christ was going to destroy? When you get your new resurrection body, when the resurrection takes place, then shall come to pass, the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is our hope. It is the hope that says that God has completed what we have fallen short in the, last, in the first Adam. When Jesus said, it is finished, He literally meant, it's finished, it is complete. It is our evidence that Christ is the last Adam, the last man created for God's purpose in right relationship for Him, in, in, in fulfilling His commission. It is our evidence that He has paid the penalty of death for all of our failures and all those that are born in Him. It's the evidence that God has accepted payment for all sin. He's conquered Satan and He's conquered death for God and for us. 
And now everyone who has faith in Christ is born again into Christ, given new life, new nature, completely forgiven, and will live with Him forever. You want to know why I believe this Christian stuff the way that I do? Listen, there have been times in my life that I've questioned, and don't tell me you hadn't either. There have been times in my life I questioned, do I really believe all this? I mean, I'm giving my life to this. Do I really believe this? You want to know one of the reasons I believe it the most? Because that tells me why I am the way that I am. That tells me why my heart is the way that it is. It tells me why my mind thinks the things that it does. I understand when I turn on the news the evil that I see and I get it. You know why? Because they're still under the first Adam. And we have to be born again to be given a new nature, to be given new guidance, to be in right relationship with God so that we can be empowered and blessed so that we can live out the mission of bringing all things into subjection for the glory of God, namely our sin. Guys, listen to me. This is the closing. This is my invitation. This morning, if you have never if you've never saw your sin condition and that you are a rebel, an enemy of God. I, I had a friend ask me the other day, he was dealing with a woman who was an atheist and uh, she was very sick, was probably going to die. And he said, how can I pray with her and help her understand that there's power in prayer for her healing? And, for, and I said, you know, that's not her problem. Right now she don't need to pray for healing. Right now she needs to pray that she not be an enemy of God. She needs to understand that she is an enemy in rebellion to God. And if she dies in this condition, she will suffer an eternity of it. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you have never saw your sin condition and yourself as an enemy before God, and you've never bowed the knee to say, God, forgive me, a sinner, and you've never confessed Jesus as Lord that's fulfilled the commission that you failed at, and if you've never believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead to prove that he is the fulfillment of it, then I want to tell you this morning, you are not saved. And you will die in your sin condition under your head being represented. When God looks at you, he sees Adam. That's the image that you bear. But let me tell you something this morning. Romans chapter 10, I think it's verse 9, says this. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you heard the gospel this morning, it is my prayer that you'll come and you'll bow the knee and you'll ask God to forgive you of your sin, and you'll trust in the sacrifice of Christ, and you will be born again this morning, so that when Christ looks at you on judgment day, you want to know the image that you want Him to see? You want Him to see Christ. It is my prayer this morning that you don't leave here until you've done that. Maybe you think you have, and maybe you know that the life don't line up. Maybe this morning you need to repent. You need to come back to God and say, I'm sorry that I'm still living in rebellion against you. Forgive me. Put me back in right relationship with you where I belong. I pray that that's what takes place this morning. But you better not leave hearing this gospel because you heard it. You better not leave this morning hearing this gospel and do nothing. It'll be a bad day for you. 
If y'all would, stand this morning. Whatever it is that God has, has asked of you, come now. If I'm busy, Nick is available. <clears throat> Maybe you just want to humble yourself before him. I don't know. But whatever it is that you need this morning, if you ain't ever made that profession of faith, I'm asking you this morning, come and do it. Take me by the hand and say, Preacher, help me. Help me figure this out. Whatever you need this morning, now is the time.